please be advised that some of the content of this episode might not be suitable for younger ears. Good morrow, Steph! Hello and welcome, Ashley. Thank you, thank you. I'm not British. I should stop trying to pretend like I'm British. I think a lot of British people get mad at me for that reason. Because they're I, like, Ashley, stop. I find it quite endearing, but I might be in the minority. Apologies. I am super excited because we have a pretty cool guest on today. I have witnessed her as a fellow storyteller. Her stories are always amazing. So when she agreed to do this podcast, I was beyond excited and I can't wait to have this conversation today to chat to her about all of the cool things that she does. Today we are interviewing Marie Phillips. Marie is an astounding author. She is a British writer, storyteller, and writing coach. She's written novels including God's Behaving Badly, which was turned into a feature film. She's written the table of less valued nights and you have a, a new book out called create your own midlife crisis which is a choose your own adventure um additionally to that uh marie is, an, is a wonderful storyteller i've heard her many times tell stories and she blows my mind every single time she does she's one of the kindest funniest people that i've had the pleasure of knowing over the pandemic um and before that an all-around beautiful entertainer so welcome marie Thank you for that extraordinary welcome, Ashley. Thanks uh, for having me. When did you realize that you that you were creative and that creativity was going to be a major part of your life? Uh, it's, it's sort of two separate, two separate questions. You know, what do we mean by creative? Because I'm not convinced that anyone is not creative. Everybody is in their own way. And you can think of a job that is that doesn't look very creative, like a cab driver, maybe that doesn't look like a very creative job. But if you have a conversation with a cab driver, chances are you will discover a creative mind. So I think the question is not so much when did I discover I was creative as when did I realize what form my creativity was going to take? And that happened um, when I was about eight years old. I had recently changed schools um, from a French school, a French school in London to an English school, and they taught in a somewhat different way. And one of the things that was new uh, in my English school was they asked me to write a story. I had never written a story before, and I was an obsessive reader, but it had, I guess I didn't realize that books were written by people. They were just things that existed. I, just, I, you know, I sort of knew, but I didn't really think it through. And then I was asked to write the story, and I remember that the first story that I wrote was about a lion in the circus or in a cage of some sort. That's all I remember about it, but I remember writing it. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, this is a thing I can do. This is a thing I'm allowed to do. Like, I don't just have to read stuff. I can write stuff. And that was like a big transformative moment for me. So that was when I discovered how I wanted to be creative, how I wanted to express my creativity. Um, and that pretty much has continued to the present day. Writing has always been the central way by which I express my creativity. And then in terms of the point at which I realized that creativity is going to be like the, the driving force of my life. When I was at university and I studied anthropology, I didn't do English as you might expect. I, I wanted to be, I wanted to learn something that wasn't quite so innate in me, I suppose. At that point, I didn't think that being a writer was something that I could just do as a job. It didn't seem very sensible. So I looked, for, looked to try and figure out what other job I might want to do that seemed 
to allow me to be creative. And I worked in TV for a few years and I even did an MA in documentary making. And I did enjoy that work, but it wasn't, it wasn't my form of creativity. Like I really just needed to be writing and I became more and more obsessed with writing and less and less committed to my job. I mean, I still did my job, but when we would have discussions about what my next move was gonna be, you know, I had to be going for that promotion. And I looked around at what everyone else was doing. And I just thought, I don't want to be, I don't want to be doing any of those jobs. I just want to be writing. And I, I took the plunge in um, 2003. I just, I left my job. I decided I was going to write a novel and I went and I started working in bookshops because that gave me enough time to think and to write. And I did write a novel and that novel wasn't published. And then I wrote another novel and that novel was published. And that was God's Behaving Badly. But it was, it was that feeling, it wasn't enough just to be creative in general, because making documentaries is very creative. I needed to be creative in my way. And that was, that was the, the big realization that to be fulfilled, that's what I needed to do. It's so funny, because I think that you, you've nailed something, which creativity takes so many different forms. And there's so many different ways that we can use creativity and be creative people. It's that idea of like harnessing your power, right? Or like your craft or, or any of those sort of cliches, but like it's understanding if you were a fighter or an assassin, like what is going to be your weapon of choice. I was listening to something recently where like a parent was talking about their child and they were bringing up how they, they kept on doing something like a character in a sitcom and it was driving the mother crazy. And the dad said, oh, well, she's figuring out her comedy. And I thought that that was a really mm. interesting thing of like, yeah, you've got to figure out what, what's going to work for you. And sometimes we don't always talk about how you have to go down the failed road to know that it's not the right road for you. And I think what's really tricky is there's a lot of different forces at work. So we all need to, to make money. We all need to survive. Um, there is a trap that you can fall into. It's something that feels close to what you should be doing, but isn't what you're doing. And I think some people hold back because they're afraid of actually doing the thing. So they would rather facilitate the thing. That's something that turns up in the writer's way, the sort of shadow creative. There may be more money and a, a clearer career path in, in supporting artists rather than making art. But I do think that even if you do need to put your ability to survive and pay rent first, uh, even if your art, your creativity, your true voice, shall we say, needs to take up a smaller amount of space, allow it to take up some space. You know, let's be realistic about the demands that people have on their time. But if you can devote an hour a week to it, because if you are never using your true voice, if you're never using your weapon of choice, your soul is going to start to suffer. This is becoming a very triggering conversation for me. Um, <clears throat> no, because I think... <laughs> yeah, but... I mean, let's all cry. Let's cry it out. <laughs> there's the actual conversations that you have to have of like, how am I going to pay my rent? But then there's the other conversations of like, how am I going to feed my soul? And those are always the harder conversations to have. I'm really curious to know a little bit more about you know, having that sense of uh, purpose or finding the kind of right creative mechanism at such a young age um, and how that translated through your other work. So it sounds like you almost came back kind of full circle to where, where you discovered that moment. Is that how it was experienced or is it just a kind of evolution of something that you found that was really important within you? I think there was um, a window of time where I knew that I wanted to write, but I didn't necessarily have anything that I wanted to say. 
I wrote a lot as a, a child and as a teenager. And my writing kind of fell off as I left university and partly because I wanted to take this sensible path. But it was also partly because I just didn't know what I I didn't know what I wanted to write. And the funny thing is, is at the time, I think I felt like I didn't know what my voice was. And that was because I was looking for my voice through my reading. I was discovering the world of, of adult fiction and I was completely blown away by the incredibly diverse range of voices and types of books that I was discovering. And I didn't know where I fitted into that. And it took me a while to be ready to start writing again. And then when I sat down to write, I remember putting down, I had an idea that I wanted to write. I started to write it. I put down the first few sentences and then I sat back from the keyboard as if I had been stung by a bee because I was so horrified that the writing sounded like me. I was like, oh no, I sound like me. Now, I didn't realize until much later that's called having a voice. And it's a really, really important thing in a writer. But I don't want to sound like me. I wanted to sound like Margaret Atwood or, you know, anyone else. And actually, there's a story that I wrote for my school magazine when I was 10. And I read it. I was like, I could have written that yesterday. The sense of humor is exactly the same. Like nothing has changed. You know, I went off into the wilderness probably for about 10 years in my 20s. And I, you know, I had experiences and, and I, I enjoyed my life. But when I came back to writing, it turned out that nothing had changed. And I have to admit that I still sometimes struggle with that because on my darker days, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I've made no progress. You know, I'm just churning out the same old stuff. Um, but lately, I've been thinking a lot about how the writers that I really love all have a distinctive voice, a distinctive style. And you could, if you were cruel, say they write the same thing over and over again. I mean, Charles Dickens writes the same thing over and over again. Jane Austen writes the same thing over and over and again. But you don't read Pride and Prejudice and then read Emma and go, oh, here we go again. These women and who they're going to get married to. You may do, but if you do, you're missing a lot of the point. There's, the, there's finding your voice and then there's accepting your voice. And those two things are not exactly the same. How do creatives persevere in, in terms of long form creativity? Like how, how is it that you have found that you can keep the fire going when you're on a project for, for such a long period of time? It's a difficult one to answer because in a way I have to sort of rediscover it each time. And you, you hope that you've got it figured out. You finish a book and you think, ah, okay, now I know how to write a book, but you don't. You only know how to write the book that you've just written. And then when the next one comes along, it's a completely new challenge. So um, I wouldn't want to give the impression that I've, that I've got this nailed because I do not have this nailed and I keep having to uh, reinvigorate my practice and I keep having to to try and kind of figure out problems that arise. Because of course I'm changing as well. As time goes by, my relationship with myself is changing. Dogged perseverance is, is always gonna be necessary. And understanding that there will be ups and downs in the process is always going to be necessary. Knowing when not to give up is necessary. Knowing when to give up is necessary. I'm not sure I have that right. It could be that I've given up on a lot of stuff that I should not have given up on, but there's no way of knowing. But, you know, there's a real 
graveyard of half-written novels on my computer, the number of things that I've started and never finished. So, you know, the, there's a lot going on behind the scenes, and I imagine that's true of many, if not all, writers. I've recently really changed the way that I work. And when I say recently, I mean in the last couple of months. So this is, this is like hot off the press. Lockdown has been very challenging uh, to everybody. And I think uh, it has been challenging to creative people, by which I mean people who are creating artistic work in a very particular way, which is that our balance of inspiration and output has been thrown completely out of whack. I wrote a draft of, of something that I don't feel any particular urge to continue with in the sort of first half of the pandemic. And I really was pretty much writing that just to get myself out of bed every day. Then I didn't want to continue with that. I came up with a new idea, spent quite some time researching that, tried to start writing that, hit a wall immediately because it wasn't my voice. And that's a mistake that I often make. I, I, I work on ideas that aren't going to fit with my voice. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to have to find a, a new approach. So I started reading interviews with writers, with successful writers and seeing what they had to say about it. And they all said, you know, you need to write every day. And I was like, yeah, I write every day. I always write every day when I'm working on a project. When I'm working on a project, I write every day. Writing, I write every day, but I don't write every day. And I thought, oh, you know what? I think I need to write every day, actual every day, not just when I'm working on a project. So now I do that. I say so every morning, um, I switch off my phone and I switch off my computer and I get a pen and, and, a, and a pile of paper, a notepad, and I write for two hours. And um, it doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be anything. It only has to be words that I've written down. It doesn't have to be creative. It doesn't have to be part of my project. It doesn't have to, it, there are no rules other than I can't throw it away and I have to do it. And that has transformed my relationship with writing because it is no longer results focused in the relentless way that it was before. And my forward projection, entirely untested, is that if I keep doing this, eventually I will start writing properly, quote unquote, by which I mean actually writing my book on the computer. And then I will also keep doing the writing on paper at any given point that the writing on the computer is not going anywhere. So there will be no bit where I am not writing in one form or another even if all I'm writing is I feel terrible I'm getting nowhere this is a disaster and I think that the daily practice will get me through a lot of the problems that I've encountered before in my writing which is I always try to make it good so when I'm at the computer and, and I'm trying to write a chapter I'm trying to write as well as I can and sometimes that's wonderful and it happens very easily and sometimes it isn't and I feel like perhaps at that point picking up the pen and paper and just pouring my heart out about why this isn't working will serve me better than just sort of sitting there feeling lousy so so writing literally writing every day I would say is a really important part of keeping going there are other things one is falling in love with your project 
and it's a bit like a relationship and you don't leave well maybe you do but it's not a great idea if you want to have a long-term relationship to leave at the first sign of trouble so you know allow yourself to argue with your work allow yourself to have periods where you are bored shitless of your work you know where you have no interest in it or it's not giving you anything or you don't know how to take it forward but commit to it in the same way that you would commit to a relationship if you look at your partner and you think I think this is worth it in the long term then you are willing to tolerate sometimes months of finding them insufferable (laughs) but sometimes you look at your partner and think I don't want to be with you anymore. This is bringing me no joy and I cannot imagine that it ever will. And it's the same with a long piece of work. Sometimes that book, you just don't want to do it. There's nothing in it for you. And then the other thing that I would say has always helped me is to be working on something else at the same time. And the other thing that I'm working on should not be long form. So this is one of the things that I really enjoy about storytelling, for example, I can write a small story and perform it or even a short show. The the great thing about writing shorter, shorter things is that it gives you that little boost of having successfully written something which keeps you going through the sort of long trudge of, um, of writing a novel. And I mean, you know, the novels that I've written have taken me two years each of them for whatever reason that seems to be the amount of time it takes me to write a novel but you hear about people who have a novel you know that will have taken them nine years or 13 years and they definitely will have been writing other things at the same time like you just you just need to to keep yourself on the path it just you need those little successes to encourage you to believe in the that one big success which is going to be your novel this is how you can just tell that you're a writer because you manage to turn like each question into like this multitude of stories and it's so relatable I think about the vulnerability it takes to like keep keep going with your creativity and know that some things will work and some things won't I think failures come up a lot in some of the other conversations we've had and it's so brave to talk about those things because um we often don't we don't ever see them because they're the they're not the shiny output that we get that goes on shelves or that gets hung up in people's walls or all of those sorts of things like I think there's a lot of time and I don't I don't know but I know that in my own creative journey there's times that I've started down the path of like oh I'm gonna do whatever and then I start on it and then I'm like this is not going well and I don't want to do this anymore and I put it on the shelf or I forget about it or whatever but then when I think about it there's so much shame and guilt Mm. attached to whatever it was and I feel like oh well this is why I'm not a good creative or this is why I'm a failure or this is why you know whatever and and that starts to to play on you it sounds like from the outside you have a healthy relationship to understanding that like sometimes breakups happen in relationships and in creative endeavors well I mean I'm on a podcast right now okay so we're not in the pub at the point of which I am breaking up with one of my pieces of work because if you were to interview one of my friends be like oh Maria is so sane about this they would they would be able to tell you what it's like sitting opposite me as I'm like it's a disaster I can't do it I'm a terrible writer it's never gonna be okay I'm never gonna be able to do this 
you know, it's, it is not a good feeling. And one of the things that I've come to realize is it has to feel bad. Otherwise you would not notice it and you would ignore it. So that feeling that this is not working is horrendous. And it has to be horrendous because otherwise you would get over it. Um, so, you know, everything in your body and soul is telling you to not go, not carry on down that road. That's, that's a very, very, very horrible feeling. And, you know, with my, with this very short-lived project that I did fairly recently, at the point at which I realized that I wasn't going to be able to write this, which was almost as soon as I started writing it, but after months of thinking about it and reading around it and coming up with ideas, I was under my desk. <laughs> I, was, I, I was like, I was sitting at my desk feeling awful. And I just had this thought, I think I might be happier under my desk. So I crawled under my desk and I sort of like crouched in this fetal position. And after all, I, I, I thought I should move. So I crawled around my bedroom floor. I crawled in a circle until I felt capable of standing up again. That is the level of misery that led me to understand that this book was not going to work for me. You do need to get to know yourself well, and you do need to, to get to know when am I just listening to my own insecurity and demons, and there's nothing wrong with this piece of work at all, and when, when is this really not working for me? And the feeling that I've come to look for both, both of those feelings are feelings of fear. And one of the feelings of fear is, oh no, I'm not going to be able to do this. And the other feeling of fear is, oh God, I'm going to be stuck having to do this and I don't want to. If the feeling is, oh no, I don't think I can do it and I really, really want to, that is a sign that you should keep trying. If it's, oh, help, I've saddled myself to this project and now I'm stuck with it and I do not want this project anywhere near me, that is a good feeling to tell you to, to go away. Now, you can be wrong. You can, you know, this is not a foolproof system, but they are two different kinds of feeling terrible and, and it will help you to identify when to persist and when to maybe give up. It's again, it's, a, it's about having the clarity and the language to be able to call it out. Because I think mm. a lot of times, this isn't stuff that you necessarily get taught, you know, in education or in life. I mean, these are all, this is all like the school of hard knocks where you have to figure this out as you go. Absolutely. There's that kind of learning persistence and kind of pushing through your own, all of your own stuff that's experience, that's time and experience and, and, um, and a sort of long and ongoing process of self-knowledge. There's something so important about being a, a very self-reflective practitioner as well, isn't there? I think, again, we don't always talk about that side of creativity all the time or not everybody sees that side, but it's a lifetime's work, isn't it? To get comfortable with that and to, and like you said, to learn in the moment and things change and your work changes and your work changes you, you change your work. I imagine it's a sort of ongoing dialogue between you and your, your craft as well. Absolutely. And I think that um, one of the things that often happens uh, in terms of 
the relationship that we have up with our own work and a pitfall that I have fallen into over and over and over is that you become obsessed on the product and um, it's sort of inevitable especially if you've had any kind of success and you've I you know I had one very successful novel God's Behaving Badly which was my first and that's not necessarily the best one to be very successful because when the other ones don't you know get the same attention the same sales that's quite a painful thing but um you start thinking ah the measure of my success as an artist is the measure is is the success of the product and so you, you you know you're thinking I've got to write a book I need to finish the book the book needs to be good and then the book needs to be well received and the book needs to do well you start to think about the life of the book after you have finished writing it. But the reality is the moment you have finished writing that book, I mean, it's over for you. It, it, that book then becomes something to, you know, that the publishers, you know, they've got a project now, which is how to publish it. And the readers have a relationship with it, but you're already onto the next thing. Really what your practice is about is, is your practice. What your practice is about is the, is the daily experience of, of writing and figuring that out and, and doing it and enjoying it or not enjoying it. And, and ultimately the writing is an expression of yourself. And so what you're really doing is, I don't even know what you're really doing. You're sort of figuring out yourself. You're figuring out why you have this urge, what it is, what, what are you doing? I mean, recently, I realized that what I really want to be doing is have fun creating something that I love, which is a book because I love books. And that was a very helpful realization because I realized I'd been neglecting my love of books and I started reading a lot more because I wanted to remember, why do I write? I don't write so that people can tell me I'm an amazing writer. I write because I love reading and I want to contribute to that. So the more you understand that you're in just in this sort of, I mean, as we all are, a lifelong relationship with yourself, the easier it gets to let go of some of this obsessing with results, which is not to say that there isn't something really important at those moments where you think, you know, I had, I had an idea, I had an initial thought, I nurtured it, I worked on it, I poured everything into it. And now I actually have something that, that bears some relation to what I wanted it to be in the, in the first place that's an incredible achievement and and it's exciting to be able to then give that to people and have them enjoy it but you have not failed if you're writing all the time and you're exploring and you're getting deeper and you're understanding yourself better I mean does that sound like failure I don't think that sounds like failure I just think we can get so obsessed with the results but once it's finished it's over and it was only ever the process that's one of the big things about creativity right is like is the idea of being on the journey of it and and yeah it's not necessarily what it what it is that you make or what becomes of it it's the process of having had an idea and putting you know pen to paper or I don't know thread to needle or or whatever and and actually creating something with it and putting it into the world the result is important because that feeling of having finished something is the point at which you feel the satisfaction that this confusing and messy idea that you had, much of which is not available to you in your conscious mind, has become something that makes sense. So in that respect, results matter because it's when, you, when you've completed a project and you think, okay, 
now I understand why I needed to write that in the first place. I don't tend to know why a project is important to me till I'm at least halfway through. There's some reason why I want to explore something. And to be honest, if I knew exactly why I wanted to explore it, I would probably already know what I think. And then I would get bored of the project halfway through, which has happened. Um, it's the ones which are a bit more mysterious to you that are the most interesting. And then, yes, the result matters because then you think, OK, I get this now. I've, I've, I've expressed it. I've expressed it to the best of my current ability and I'm ready to move on. How is it that you have seen your creativity make positive changes in your life and or the lives of others? I find it almost impossible to imagine my life without it. And every so often I will have a conversation with my accountant and he will ask me a question like, at what age do you intend to retire? To which my answer is, I do not understand the question. This isn't a thing that I am planning to stop doing. I just can't imagine not writing. And even when I'm not, when I, when I'm not writing a, a book or something, I just write, I, I like writing emails. I like writing letters. I like writing funny tweets or, you know, I just like writing stuff. In terms of uh, reaching other people, but people are kind enough to tell you that they've read something that you've written and what it's done for them. And that's an incredibly moving thing. Um, I write on the whole humorous fiction and Sometimes I beat myself up about this because I feel like humorous fiction does not change the world. Like humorous fiction does not bring down governments or like point out injustices. It's trivial, you know, it's silly. What is the point? And then I will meet someone who says, in the depths of the deep depression, your book was the only thing that I was capable of reading. I mean, and then I think, well, that was, that was worth two years of my life. You know, then I think, okay, well, I'm glad, I'm glad I wrote it. You know, that was, that was, that was what it was for. And, you know, a, a astonishing things like, um, I think the cousin of a friend of mine took my book out to uh, his tour of duty in Afghanistan, and then he left it there. And then the other soldiers were all reading it, like they were passing it around. When you realize that, you know, say it takes a few hours to read a book of mine, and say most people optimistically who read it are happy while they're reading it. And you multiply those few hours by the number of people who enjoyed reading the book. And then I think I brought more happiness into the world. That's extraordinary. That is, that is just the best feeling. But the fact that people take the time to say like, hey, this really brought me through a dark period in my life. I think that that also just shows how impactful creativity can be in terms of connection. It's interesting because so, so far, you know, we've talked about uh, my work as a novelist, but of course I also work as a storyteller and it's two very, very different kinds of things. And I think they're both extremely valuable. So when you write a novel, you are connecting across time and space. You know, even, even if my books go out of print, it may well be that after I've died, you know, someone finds an old copy on their grandmother's shelf and they pick it up and they read it. You know, that's, it's time travel. It's, it's extraordinary. Like that's exciting. 
the flip side of that is that you're never there while it's happening and so you write the book and you connect with the book and then the, the book connects with somebody else so you have an indirect connection um and I was really missing the direct connection and that's why I started storytelling because you're in the room I mean it's it's just so exciting like you are in the room with a group of people it can be a very small group I mean you could be literally just talking to one other person or it can be you know a large audience but you share the moment you share the moment and then the moment is gone and I think that that's that's another side of things that I really love because a, a book is quite a permanent artifact whereas a story okay we can record them but but a lot of the time you just tell the story in the moment and it's gone and then you you don't need to ask it's nice when someone tells you they enjoyed it but you don't need to be told because you can feel the reaction you just feel that shared moment and it's it's a really really wonderful thing and I'm excited that like I now have this live performance side to my to my work because that that was what was really missing and what I found to be interesting and that I don't quite understand yet is that um my written word voice my words on the page voice and my storytelling voice not the same really the same yes really and I just don't know why and I don't necessarily feel a need to to know why I enjoy the mystery of it but my expectation had been either that my stories would sound very very much like what I I write in books which they don't or that my books would start sounding a lot more like what I do when I'm writing stories and that has not happened and I think that it's another part of myself or another part of my voice that wasn't actually getting expressed through writing that needed an outlet. And now I found an outlet for it. But it's 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 been very interesting to me to discover that 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 I have a different I have a different writing voice for different forms. And the thing that I suspect makes the difference is the difference between something that I create on my own on paper to be read at a distance is just not the same as something that I, sure, I sort of create it on my own, but it doesn't come alive until I'm sharing it with other people and um, that it's written on the wind. What do you think the major or minor barriers to creativity are? I mean, one is all of the practical stuff about time, money, just it's so important to reiterate that you know I come from like my parents are well off I I have a the safety net you know there's all kinds of reasons why I'm able to devote my time to writing and other people aren't and I think it's really really important to stress that because you know it's a privilege it really is a privilege to be able to do this and people should not beat themselves up if they do not if they cannot devote all of their time it's not just beating themselves up it's just you know feeling a great sense of loss and grief it's not possible for everyone to be a full-time artist, um, but I would encourage everybody who feels a creative stir to um, find a little time. Secondly, your beast of an inner voice will try to destroy you at every turn. What are you going to do? It, it's, it's just always going to be there telling you that what you're doing is terrible. And even when it's telling you that what you're doing is amazing, it's not necessarily all that helpful because 
you know, the amazingness implies a possibility of terribleness. You do need that inner critic because goodness knows I've occasionally read things by people who don't have an inner critic and you sort of wish that their inner critic would speak up a little bit from time to time. You know, 100% self-belief is not going to help you become a discerning reader of your own work. But more often than not, the problem is, is that you will constantly tell yourself that what you are doing is worthless, rubbish, pointless, um, embarrassing, uh, no one will like this. I mean, as a published writer, imagining people reading my book and what they will think of it is a disaster. It's something I do all the time. Oh, they're just going to say this is just the same as God's behaving badly. It's money for old rope. They're not going to like this. And oh, gosh. So that voice, killer voice. So you just need to learn how to deal with that. And then I have to say, increasingly, the saturation of noise, information, input, entertainment that we're living with these days is a real bar to creativity. You know, classically, people would imagine that this means like crap that you see online or just crap that you're reading, crap that you're watching. But it's not even just crap. There's also an abundance of good stuff. And if you fill every minute of your life, even with good stuff, you will not have space to create your own work. So the, the key is not, oh, I'll just avoid reading crap online. The key is I need to work space and silence into my days to allow my own mind to come up with its own things. And so, you know, if you are constantly scrolling through stuff on your phone, even if it's the best stuff, if you have you know, the TV on for hours every evening, if you listen to podcasts constantly when you are doing the ironing and when you're doing the cooking and when you're on a walk and when you're commuting, if you never allow any silence into your life at all, then you will not be able to create. What helps you when you've got a creative block? You have a creative block for a reason. Mm. So just trying to bash it down will not help you in the long term. And your reason is going to be, one of two things or a combination of them both. Either there is something wrong with the material or there is something wrong with you or both. If there's something wrong with the material, it means that you've reached a block because you, you literally just don't know how to take this further. You haven't thought it through enough. You haven't done the right research. You don't really understand what it is that you want to say. I often will get a block in, in the sort of, I was thinking of like the marshy bit in the middle of a novel. Like I start off well, I'm feeling good. I know where I'm going. I know what the end is. And then I get into the middle and I'm like, oh, I, ugh. and, you know, often it's just because a novel is a really huge, uh, unwieldy thing. And I can't hold it all in my mind at the same time. So even if I think I'm very well prepared, I'm just going to get lost in the middle. And, and that kind of creative block there's all kinds of things you can do. You can, you can do a bit more reading. You can, you can get together with a friend and, you know, talk through what it is that you're trying to do, get them to ask you questions. It's a tricky thing knowing when to bring in a friend. Sometimes if I bring someone in too soon, their ideas become bigger than my ideas and it can kill what I'm doing dead. But if I've, if I've got quite a solid grasp of what I'm doing, a well-chosen friend who can, who can just ask me the right kinds of questions will help me uncover what it is that I don't know. Because they might say, oh, you know, why is this character doing this? What, you know, what about that? And I'll be like, huh, I don't know. 
Okay, good. So that gives me a little indication of what to go back and look at. So that those sorts of things will help you on your creative block when the problem is the material. When the problem is you, this will be uh, much more in the zone of I've started to believe that I can't do this. Like I say, these two things can go together. You can believe that you can't do it because you've got a problem with the material, but you can also have no problem actually with the material. But for some reason, something has been triggered in yourself that is telling you that you cannot do this. And that can be related to all kinds of other things in your life. You know, you could, you might be tired or you might have had a disappointment in a friendship or, you know, you might have something else might be going on with you or you're writing material that has triggered insecurity because you you're digging deep and you're stirring the pot and it's bringing things up for you or you know there's so many reasons why you might have stuff going on in your life that that is stopping you from believing in yourself as someone who's capable of writing and at that point you you know you need to to take care of yourself now this you know that varies enormously from person to person. And it may be that you already have a way of dealing with that. It may be that you already have, you know, a therapist or a close friend who you talk to, or you may already have a practice of journaling or meditating or, you know, all of these other things. And I think that working creatively can bring up a huge amount of insecurity and things that you've buried, you know, you're, you're writing something you don't even know has triggered your feelings about, I don't know, a terrible breakup that you had 15 years ago that you thought you were over, but the pain is still in there and you release the pain and it, it suddenly made you feel like that sad, betrayed person that you used to be. You need to, you need to take care of that. You might want to pause the project, but don't stop training. Don't stop writing or if you're a musician, don't stop playing. If you're an artist, don't stop sketching. Maybe, maybe pause the project, but just keep going and really just try and tune in with yourself, try and tune in what is wrong, try and figure out what you need, try and, try and care for what you need and see whether that project starts to beckon you again. And there's a, a different kind of block, which is a block between projects. So there's a block that you have in the middle of the project, which is kind of what I was talking about now. But there's also the, oh, oh hell, I don't know what I'm doing next feeling, which is quite a panicky feeling. And it's a very panicky feeling if you make your living from doing this. <laughs> Believe me. Again, just keep writing every day. Keep looking for inspiration, wherever inspiration might be found. Just keep your eyes and your ears open and wait. Get ready for the quick fire question. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so finish the sentence. Creativity is. Innate in everybody. Lovely. And finish this sentence. Something that is inspiring me now is. Learning to write every single day. And if you had to listen to just one song on repeat, what would it be? I am currently obsessed with um, Janet Jackson, Rhythm Nation. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, that, the answer to that question would change at any given time, but I could just <laughs> put that on and dance it out. Imagine you could have one piece of artwork in your home, money being no object, what would it be? It would be a Matisse. I don't know which Matisse. I would very much enjoy exploring all the available Matisses and then choosing one. Um, but it would be a Matisse. 
And if you had to pick any film to represent your creative journey, what would it be? I'm going to go with The Princess Bride. I saw it when I was 12. I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. I am 45. It is still the funniest thing that I've ever seen. <laughs> and finally, if you were able to inspire a young person or even your, young, um, your younger self, what book would you gift them to help them on their creative journey? The book that immediately sprang to mind was I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith. It's a coming of age story about it, a young woman who is finding herself both as an artist and as a woman. You know, I didn't read it when I was young. I only read it, I think, maybe 10 years ago or something like that. But I wish that I had read it when I was young because I think it's a perfect a teenage, a teenage aspiring artist who's starting to feel all of that stirring in her soul. That's the one. Well, Marie, this has been just such an absolute pleasure. It has been amazing to have you on. I was, I, I was just totally captivated by you the entire time. I mean, you just dropped so much knowledge on us. Yeah, and it's all so relatable. It's, it's lovely that you say that what I say is relatable. And I think, I think it's really important to demystify all of this because, you know, as consumers, we do only ever see that kind of final polished product, but it's all just people. It's all just people behind it all working away, sometimes feeling great and sometimes feeling terrible and just doing their best and, you know, realizing that it's within all of us to find our voice, find our way, you know, express ourselves creatively it's it's not an exclusive thing that only a few people can do you know and 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 the experience of doing it is not some rarefied thing that only happens for a handful of geniuses it's it's a process anyone can go through it's not an easy process but it's it's out there for anyone who wants it if anybody wanted to find you or get in touch with you etc what would be the best way for them to do that I'd say the first port of call is my website uh, mariephillips.co.uk you can click through to my Twitter and my extremely uh, rarely updated Instagram and Facebook pages. But yeah, if you start off at mariephillips.co.uk, you should be able to find your way to everything else. Well, thank you so much for coming on here. This has been just an absolute joy for us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been really, really wonderful. Thank you for listening to Curious About Creativity. If you like what you heard today, please like, review, share, and subscribe. If you leave us a review, it helps more people find us. Big thanks to our guest today, Marie Phillips. Curious About Creativity is hosted by Steph Turner and Ashley Evenson. Music by Twins Music. Edited by Bex Devaraj. Produced by Bex Devaraj, Ashley Evenson, and Steph Turner.